Welcome to Catch Outdoors. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. Contact email is catchoutdoors at gmail.com. My website, catchoutdoors.com. And my Facebook page is Catch Outdoors. Catch Outdoors presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. Got a couple of books out there available on Amazon and Kindle. Bridge to Paradise. That's a book about short stories, travel writing, stuff that I've done over about 15, 20 years. What I know about fishing Southwest Florida, if you live on that coast or planning to visit Sanibel Fort Myers area for a little bit of fishing, you should check it out. Book three's in the works. Has a working title. Yay. Take a Kid Fishing, a parent's guide for introducing youngsters to the world of angling. Yep. Looking forward to getting that one done and get it out there to my readers. Episode 41. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it still surprises me. That's 41 weeks. We're getting close to a year now. Uh, going Back to Nature is the title today, or perhaps Florida Critters could be appropriate as well. I was bouncing both of them around, so I'll just use them both. Uh, simply put, uh, this is just a roundup. I used to do these podcasts. If you go back and look, you'll see stuff like hodgepodge and fishing info and stuff like that. And I'm trying to give them titles now so that I can actually figure out what was in it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to look back. You're like, did I talk about that? I don't know. Maybe I did. Um, so anyway, simply put, these are these are things that are happening around uh, Florida, either now or soon, uh, with all things that swim, crawl, and walk in Florida. So all the critters that are out there. Um, like I said, formerly these podcasts were referred to as hodgepodge uh, po- podcasts. And I was just sitting thinking about the other day, there's all kinds of little things going on in the, in the world of nature out there that I'd like to chat about, but none of them are really long enough to do an entire podcast on, but it, but a pretty decent segment. So we're going to talk turtle nesting. Uh, it's kind of, it's not kind of big. It is big here in Florida. We'll talk a little bit about that. Fishing seasons, what's happening now, what's coming up. There's been obviously some uh, law changes, you know, bags and seasons stuff. I want to make sure that's out there for everybody to listen to. Um, be mostly related to saltwater. Florida lobster season is on its way. Uh, mini season comes up this month, toward the end of this month, so I want to talk about that. Scallops are being gathered off the west coast of Florida, the upper west coast of Florida. Talk a little bit about that. Those those dates vary. They're all over the place, so I thought I'd get that one out there. And something that interests me and I thought might interest other people, it's not necessarily in the water. This one's in the sky, the swallowtail kite migration. No, it's not a kite you fly at the beach. It's actually a bird. <laughs> they migrate out of South America and they come up here every year and then they're, they're headed back. They're, they're pretty much uh, summer's over for them and they turn around and turn around and go right back down to South America. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then, uh, then I'll sum it up with the slowness of July. Uh, just It's just a good time to get outdoors. The, the post 4th of July thing is uh, things get quiet and I don't know, it just sort of returns to Floridians for a while. We'll talk a little bit about that, too. So this first little segment is called Turtle Time. Uh, Beaches of Florida become a nesting ground for several species of sea turtles from from the springtime, roughly March, uh, until the hatches are all finished up. And that is usually going to be in uh, uh, October, typically, is when things start to wind down. And so I thought it'd be a good idea just to talk about 
sort of the history of it and what goes on with it. We, Florida's beaches um, are one of the, they are the largest nesting area in the U.S. for sea turtles. 99% of all sea turtles nest in Florida. And this is a really interesting process. These turtles come from all over. There are several different varieties. I'll talk about that in a minute, species. Um, they arrive at the Florida beach. They crawl up on the beach in the middle of the night. They dig a great big giant hole and they lay their eggs in the hole and cover them up. And they're usually at a tide line, so to speak, so that eventually they'll uh, they'll stay away from heavy-duty water storms, things like that. It's a miracle, is what it is. It's, it's a thousand years of thousands and thousands of years worth of miracles. Um, they and then the little guys hatch, uh, come up out of the sand, appear on top of the beach, and head for the water. Now that's really oversimplification, but that's really how the whole thing works. The Amazing thing about the turtles is just the amount of them. Um, I recently looked up just to see about about you know what it was, and there are roughly it, it, it varies. Okay, depending on the year, the weather, tides, uh, hurricane, non-hurricane, that kind of storms, things like that. But typically, anywhere from forty thousand nests to eighty-four thousand nests are dug. Um, and sometimes more, sometimes, sometimes closer to 100,000 nests are dug. A lot are lost to storms. If we have a big hurricane and a washout, that, that's bad. Get screaming high tides from a storm that could damage the nests or wash the nest out. So there's a lot of things going against these little dudes before they're, before they're hatched out. But just the sheer numbers always, always amaze me. Um, Heavy-duty areas are on the, on the west coast of Florida, uh, over hey, like the Fort Myers, Sanibel, Naples, those beaches in those areas are unbelievable. And then on our coast over here, my east coast over here, Fort Lauderdale, north all the way up into the Palm Beaches and Panhandle and south all the way through Miami beaches. Um, the typical turtles, the ones that, that nest on the beaches around here are the Kemp's Ridley, which is a fairly small turtle and rare, the Hawksbill, um, let's see that one. They're between 100 and 200 pound turtles. Um, population was decimated on Hawksbill. Believe it or not, they were used to make um, jewelry and hair combs. Their their um, shells were beautiful shells, and uh, it's terrible when you stop thinking about it. You're like, no, just that's just so wrong. But anyway, loggerhead turtles, probably the most popular, the ones that we know the most of. Um, they dig a lot of nests, too. Loggerheads will actually do two or three nests in a season. Most people think of a turtle as going up once and going back, and that's the end of that. No, not, not loggerheads. They'll do, they'll do a lot of digging. Um, and about 100 eggs in each nest. They can get up to about 200 pounds. And then we have the uh, green turtle. And the green turtle's big. Green turtle's like uh, three feet, three to, yeah, two and a half to three feet long, weigh about 400 pounds. Um, and a highly endangered species. Um, let's see. And oh, and they get old. Here's the weird thing about most turtles: their their sexual maturity does not happen until they're 20 to 30 years old. So you see, with this survival thing, is a real problem, and especially with with man and building and stuff on the beach. That's why it's so critical. That's why I wanted to talk about this to to help protect these species. Last but not least, the leatherback. Leatherback is um, gigantic. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Um, I've never seen one bigger than three or four feet long in the water, but uh, they have measured eight feet in length and two over 2,000 pounds. So they get really, really big. Um, unfortunately, because they're leatherbacks, they have a softer shell and it makes them vulnerable to some other. Most turtles are not vulnerable to anything but man, typically, uh, and maybe really large sharks. 
but uh, the leatherback, uh, his public enemy number one is uh, the killer whale, believe it or not. Um, let's see. The, the interesting thing about all this, let me start at the beginning. So they come into the beach, they haul up on the beach, they dig a hole, and they, and they lay eggs. And uh, uh, by the way, both male and female show up uh, for this migration all through the beaches. So they're making little eggs out there as fast as they can. Then they crawl up on the beach, then the gal lays the eggs in this giant nest. Um, the nests are, every morning on just about every single beach in Florida, there are turtle... Uh, I don't know what to call them, identifications, uh, crews, search crews, whatever you want to call them, that go out and search for the new nest or what they call crawls overnight. And the crawls are kind of interesting. It's pretty obvious. If you get to the beach early in the morning and you get there before they're searching, you, you can see it. It looks like something heavy came up on the beach, slid up on the beach. It's like somebody dragged a, a kayak or a, or a paddleboard or a surfboard out of the water, only it's got little feet marks on either side of it where it powered itself all the way up the beach. And then obviously you'll find a, a dig. You'll find a spot where the sand has been dug up and then reburied. They'll mark those. They'll come and stake them. They'll put lines around them, uh, uh, like, you know, warning uh, uh, ribbons around the outside of them, tape, and that's to keep you off of it. And those things will uh, just, it comes to a point here in Fort Lauderdale where they're just all over the beach. We like to beach it up at uh, Lauderdale by the sea. Um, that's that's kind of our favorite place to go. And the last time I went, just in the area that we were sitting on the beach, I could look out on either, either direction and count, I don't know, 25 or 30 nests. Um, so beach going's tricky. There's some there's some basic rules, and let me go over that just to give you an idea of what's going on with this. Um, since we have a long gestation period, you know that that sort of March to October uh, takes a while for the eggs to gestate, come out of the ground, um, and, and you just have to be aware of some little bitty things that can hurt these these little critters. Number one, lights. Um, it is a it is a requirement for all counties, and I believe I think it's probably state now. I'm not, and I don't hold me to that. I didn't check it, but I know in our county, in Lee County, where I used to live, there are really strict uh, lighting restrictions on the beach. You are not allowed to use white light at night. If, you, if we noticed it the other night, I was driving back uh, from dinner, and we came up uh, Fort Lauderdale Beach, and uh, all of the hotels are orange. Everything it's really wild, and I'm sitting there going, "Why is there even the signs, the 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 big resort signs, and the the street lamps and everything are orange?" And I'm like, "What what in the world is going on here? Why?" Yeah, right. You know, just one of those things you look at, and you go, "Huh?" And that's why they all have they're all required to use amber lighting. They do not want any bright lights. They encourage you to keep your curtains uh, closed on your rooms after dark, uh, lights off of balconies, things like that. And then, of course, the big question is. All uh, right. Well, why? Why? Why do I have to do that? Uh, pretty simple. When the little guys hatch and start to head for the water, they are looking for the moon in a lot of cases, the light of the moon, um, and they move in that direction when they start to hatch. And if they see other lights or they see lights on a beach or on a building, they'll head that way. And needless to say, they're little, and if they don't make it to the water, they'll die. And it's just a, it's a crime when it happens. So that's the reason for lighting. That's the reason for turning the lights down. So please, if you're staying on a beach in Florida during these, the season of about, uh, I'd say, May. You know, by the time the eggs have been laid, you're really starting to get into the hatch season of May all the way up until October. Make sure you turn those interior lights off and keep your curtains closed. 
If you're going to go outside and sit on the balcony, that's fine. Just don't take a light with you. That's that's it. You see more. You'll see more in the dark. Um, the other thing that's interesting is you don't want to leave stuff on the beach, and they've got pretty strict rules, especially the resorts do. No chairs, no little tables. Uh, if your kids have dug holes, which kids love to do, they love to dig big deep holes and, and make castles and all that stuff. Make sure, unfortunately, yes, knock it down and fill the hole back in before you leave. You don't want the little guys hatching and falling into a hole that they can't get out of. So that pretty much sums up the turtle stuff. Most of them are highly endangered, and we want to have as many turtles as we can get. It's getting to a point now where you actually see them out there when you snorkel, uh, when you dive, when you swim in some areas, and certainly when you go fishing. So it's, it's something to be aware of. All right, let's switch gears. Fishing regulations, fishing seasons, I should say. Well, yeah, regulations for seasons. Um, I kind of wanted to go over this a while back, and for some reason I didn't. So I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna get that out of the way right now. So fishing in Florida, uh, or fish in Florida, species of fish in Florida, a great many of them have reg- regulations on them. For example, just about everything. I mean, the general species from uh, Spanish mackerel, uh, bluefish, and and cobia, dolphin fish, flounder, uh, sea trout, snook, reds, all that kind of stuff. And, and a great many of the offshore fish, too. Things like grouper and stuff like that all have some sort of fishing regulations tied to them. And it's important that the anglers know what that is. But besides that, what are the seasons? I get asked that really more than the regs because they realize that if the fish is open, then they're really going to need the regulations. If not, they're just going to release the fish anyway. So what I thought I would do here is basically just give you the seasons that are open now and what's coming up. So you kind of have an idea this summer, you know, out till, I don't know, September or so of exactly what's going on in Florida waters. I'm going to go with an easy one first. Amberjack, open August and October. <laughs> Closed otherwise. I was going to, I said, I'm going to pick a simple one first. Gag grouper. It actually opens July and August, um, then closes up and pops up again. Oh my gosh, on the Gulf Coast, I know it's around uh, Christmas time. I want to say it's about December. But for all intents and purposes, uh, it will close July and August. It'll be closed on July and August. The most complicated one of all. Red snapper. Red snapper had there's to say there's a been a, a been a bleh, been a bit of controversy on this fish would be an understatement. Uh, for a while, it was like almost completely closed. They would open it for a few weekends, for example, for recreational fishermen. Uh, then there was some controversy over counts and how it was done, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now we actually have open seasons for for red snapper again. So in Florida, the 2022 recreational red snapper season opened on June the 17th and runs all the way to the end of July, July 31st. The season will reopen again in the fall, just so you know. And it's on that's where they're going to go back to the weekend schedule. So it'll open October 8th and 9th. That's Saturday, Sunday. October 15th, 16th. October 22-23. November 11th through 13th. They'll include the uh, Veterans Day weekend on that. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they're going to do the same thing on Thanksgiving. So it'll be open November 25 through 27, which is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it gets much more complicated when we get to the fall. But for right now, it is open. And it's open from June 17th. It opened in June 17th. And it'll be open until July uh, 31st. The one I get the most questions about and is the most complicated has got to be snook. Uh, of course, it's a very popular fish, the most popular shoreline fish, as well as backcountry fish in Florida, especially South Florida, when you get down into the uh, 
uh, Southwest Florida and South Florida over here on the on the East Coast. And the the problem is is you have two seasons. Basically, you have you have an Atlantic season and a Gulf season. Number one, so either side is different. And then there's special regulations on the Gulf. I'm going to do the Atlantic first because it's just it's easier. <laughs> Uh, the cl- it's closed now, all right? So Snook is closed June through August the 31st. It will open back up in September. So we'll just we'll just leave it at that. And that's the Atlantic. It's pretty simple. You need to check the daily harvesting rates, the links. Thing. It's very complicated. So I'm not going into I'm just telling you it's closed. And it will be closed on this coast until the 1st of September. On the other coast, on the Gulf Coast, regular season closures are December one. Uh, to the end of February, and then it closes May 1 to August 31st. Okay, so it's different, obviously, than, than the East Coast, this coast. Um, there's also special seasons. Uh, right now, snook can't be harvested at all uh, from Gordon, uh, Gordon Pass in Collier County all the way up to Sarasota Bay. So the entire West Coast, almost lower West Coast, let's just say from Sarasota Bay South, you cannot harvest snook at all. There is no season as of right now. They're making plans. They'll talk about when they want to open it up. But for all intents and purposes, uh, it's going to remain catch and release uh, for a while. And they'll, they'll go back and re- relook at it and decide what they're going to do with Snook. So it's very, very limited season. It's important for you to know that. People that come down here and go, I want to go to Snook. I want Snook for dinner. It's tough. I mean, that's all there is to it because you have very limited time to do it, and you and you really are very limited on the West Coast because you can't take them at all, even when the quote season is open uh, in certain areas of the West Coast. So it's important that you know that. Redfish. Redfish are open year round, everywhere except <laughs> everywhere except that zone I was just talking about, Sarasota Bay, um, south to Gordon Pass. Um, the rule went in effect back in 2021 and they still have not made a decision on opening it back up yet. So redfish is catch and release, uh, from Sarasota, from potentially from South of, of, uh, uh, Tampa Bay, you know, all the way down into, uh, the middle of Collier County. So be aware of that. You got to put the redfish back. Uh, otherwise anywhere else in the state, it's open year round. Uh, limited catch, obviously. A lot of uh, I think it's like one one per person in most areas that that are open. Uh, there is some. Uh, I believe the Panhandle now has gone to two in some places, but there's been some pushback on that. So you might want to check before you get your heart set on keeping two redfish up in the uh, per person up in the Panhandle area. Sea trout. Another complicated one, not as bad as it used to be. It's open all the way around the state. There are two closures that do happen. They don't take place right now. These are winter closures, but I'll let you know what they are. Uh, So sea trout closes in the western panhandle all up in the top of the state for the month of February. And it closes um, November and December on this coast, on the east coast, from Palm Beach County north up to Volusia County. So those are the closed Volusia to Palm Beach, closed November, December, and over on the Panhandle, um, in not the entire thing, a, ch- a chunk of the Panhandle, uh, what they call the Western Panhandle, uh, closed on in February. Now, before I end this segment, I just want to tell you the whole bunch of rules changed for 2022. So it's important that you look. If you've been fishing in Florida, if you're from Florida, you're a resident, you've been fishing, or if you're a guest that comes down here regularly to fish, perhaps you bring your own boat or you keep a boat here and you fish, you really need to double check. They lowered bag limits on things like dolphin fish, mahi-mahi, they've, they've, and I think they changed size limits on that one as well. Um, there, there are just a whole bunch of what I call the normal catches that you kind of get every day in and day out. And 
they have really started to push things around in a whole bunch of different directions. So some for better, some for worse. And when I say worse, I just mean it's worse for the angler. You're just not going to be able to keep as many fish. Better for the fish, possibly. But uh, so please keep that in mind. It's really, really important that you that you look at re- regulations and double check yourself before you head out there on the water. Florida lobster season. Oh boy, one of my favorites, quite frankly. It's right around the corner, as a matter of fact. So we have uh, we have mini season coming up first, and let me explain. Mini season is a couple of days. It's uh, usually like a Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday. I, I honestly. Uh, I, I'm drawing a big duh here, but it's two days in the middle of the week uh, before lobster season officially starts. And it it's allows people to get out there and, and have a lot of fun and, and, and join in and get as many lobsters as humanly possible before it's opened up to commercial fishing. So um, I believe the dates are Wednesday, Thursday this year. Yeah. So it's going to be like the 27th, 28th. Yeah, it's 27th, 28th for mini season. Um it takes place in the Florida Keys and along the um, east coast of Florida. Uh, Monroe County uh, and parts of Biscayne Bay are six per person. Anywhere else in Florida, it's 12. <laughs> so if you want to get the most out of this, you're probably better off doing the east coast of Florida, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, et cetera, on up that way. Uh, however, the Keys, it's its a huge deal in the Keys, and I'm not going to say it's not. Uh, if you don't mind having tens of gazillion people looking for lobster at the same time, uh, it's a zoo, but it's kind of a fun zoo. So one thing that you really, really ought to check out if you haven't done it sooner is Bugfest. Yes, that's what it's called. The nickname for Florida lobster among a lot of lobster hunters is they're called bugs. Our lobsters don't look like Maine lobsters. They don't have big giant claws on the front of them. They look like a great big bug. And they're delicious, by the way. Also known as a Caribbean lobster. This is the same lobster they catch down in the Bahamas, places like that. Um, They are uh, pretty much the tail is what you're taking is the tail. So Bugfest is 10th anniversary, actually, for this. It's held at Lauderdale by the Sea. Lauderdale by the Sea is famous for being able to dive off the beach. I mean, that's something that you really don't do much anywhere else in the state of Florida. Uh, And they have taken it and and Lauderdale by the Sea has taken it and run with it. So they have a great big festival. It runs four days. There's cash prizes for um, uh, catches and contests and all kinds of stuff. Um, you're allowed to do boat and shore diving. Um, again, 12, per, 12 bugs per day. I love the way they have it listed on this site I'm looking at. Uh, but check it out. If you, haven't, if you haven't done that, especially if you're a Floridian, if you're here on the East Coast, uh, it's, it's definitely worth it. And remember, like I said, you know, all in all, you're going to get twice the amount of... Um, uh, bugs as you would if you were doing it down in Monroe County. Now, the regular season opens August 6th. So that means you can go dive in either location at that point. Uh, but you, but the mini season is only two days. So you can't go after them on the day after the, uh, the 29th. Okay, it's closed again. And it will remain closed until August 6th and open back up again. At that point, you can go after them. Regulations still apply. Six in Monroe County, Biscayne Bay, and um, 12 on the rest of Florida, especially along the East Coast. Bay scallops, bay scallops in Florida, Florida bay scallops. <laughs> I, I told you earlier that it's the fishing regulations are complicated. They ain't, they don't t- they don't hold a candle to the scallop regulations as far as seasons are concerned. So I'm going to give you that. I'm not going to get into all the details. So I'll just tell you when it's open. I I can tell you it's a fun sport. It's a lot of fun to do to gather up your own scallops. Uh, this is the time of year to do it. Um, so anyway, up in the Gulf County zone, I'm going to start way north up near Port St. Joe. 
and this that would be like the eastern part of the Panhandle, um, August 16th to September 24th. Then you move over to Franklin County. Uh, Franklin County is uh, July 1st to September the 24th, so it's open right now. Uh, Finn Holloway, the Suwannee River Zone, uh, that is open June 15th to Labor Day, so you still got a big chunk of that one left. And then Levy, Citrus, and Hernando counties, as we're working our way down the coast, that's the one that's pretty much adjacent to Crystal River. Um, that one's open July 1st through September the 24th. And then last is the Pasco County Zone. Ten days, <laughs> starting the third Friday in July. It's only open 10 days, third Friday in July. So there are five zones. It's a little tough to keep track of. All of them, um, as far as I know, I, I don't know. I don't snor- I, I'm sorry, I don't snorkel for, um, for scallops all that much. I have done it several times. Uh, but it's the regulations are relatively the same as how many buckets you can keep. Um, but you really do need to check a lo- local regulations on that. But as far as I know, most of it's pretty, it's date strict is really what it is. So, so there you go. Those are the, those are the times and zones that are open uh, this summer. Okay, now we get to the swallowtail kite, jumping out of the water and going into the skies. I am fascinated by the bird. My wife is fascinated by this bird. Uh, it's just, I don't know, there's just something about it that that just catches the eye, you know, when you're, first of all, when you see one, it's amazing. They have a, they have a V-tail, a split tail, and they're hawks. I mean, they're, they're really, they're large. They're large birds. They're mostly white with black on them. Um, they are beautiful when they fly because they pretty much do nothing but soaring. They're like a soaring bird. They don't flap all that much. Um, they are mainly an inland bird. In other words, you don't see them along the coast very almost never. Uh, most of the time, they're going to be in from the beaches or in from, for example, on the west coast, the best place to see them was near I-75 eastward. And the same thing over here. When you start to get into the area of, of I-95 and you start to move westward. So, so they're an inland bird. Uh, so they're not really a water bird, so to speak. The swallowtail kite migration, um, they generally arrive in Florida around February to March, uh, depending on flight patterns, and then they, they leave in August. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. You, you'll see them if you come to Florida and you're looking for it, or if you live here and you want to actually see these birds, now's the time, because they will start migrating out in, in August and September and head about, back to South America. They have a tremendous range. They have a tremendous ability to fly that range, which never ceases to amaze me, um, thousands of miles in the air, uh, which just kind of blows my mind because they literally fly across uh, the Gulf of Mexico basically to, to get here, um, you know, and the, and the lower Caribbean Sea, th- things like that. Um, some of them uh, will annually migrate. Um, I looked it up, 10,000 miles. They'll do a 10,000 mile migration, annual migration. So up and back. I, I find that absolutely amazing. Uh, they're beautiful to watch in flight. That's that's the main thing. Um, there are websites you can go to. I'll just have you look them up rather than me try to rattle them off because there's quite a few. But there are tracking websites. They have some of these birds that are uh, GPSed. And they keep track of where they are uh, because they're learning more and more about the migration routes, uh, the dangers that these birds suffer from weather and from man and things like that. Uh, probably one of the biggest detrimental things is they fly um, 
uh, what do you call it, uh, waves of air, uh, currents uh, in the sky, and they and they look for these currents, and that's how they uh, keep from wearing themselves out, basically, and that's how they fly. So if we have a uh, a late hurricane for or a hurricane rather, when they're doing the migration, which would be that August September time, and you know if you live in Florida, that's our peak time for hurricanes September. Um, if they're flying, they can get pushed off. They can get pushed, you know, away and 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 not be able to actually um, uh, get to their destinations because they get pushed so far off, they lose the current and they disappear. And it's happened with the tract birds. So, uh, you know, kind of sad, really. The primary food for these birds is, believe it or not, insects in flight. Uh, when I saw them, I've, I mean, I have seen them knock a bird out of the sky. I have seen that happen because we had them near our yard when we lived in Fort Myers. And every now and then they would play this this little game. There'd be two of them. And again, you have to see how they fly. They're very graceful, very smooth, and really fast turners. And uh, one would go down low and flush the trees. So in our case, we had some pine trees, some big, uh, like Florida pines. And typically we'd have like doves sitting in these trees and they would flush the doves out of the tree and the other kite would fly down right behind it and nail it. And now I didn't see what happened after that. Like, what did they do with the dove? Where did they take it? Because I understand that most of the food that they consume is in air, which kind of goes against what I actually saw. But the books say that they are primarily insect eaters, all kinds, grass, anything that, you know, grasshoppers, dragonflies, um, anything that actually flies in the air or moves through air uh, is fair game for the uh, swallowtail kite. So if you get a chance, uh, check out the websites, check out the migration sites. It's really, really interesting. Of course, it'll be happening here uh, shortly. It'll be happening in August and September. And these sites track the birds and you can watch these things. A great many of them make a 5,000 mile trip to get home to South America back, you know, back to their, back to where they came from before they migrate up here uh, in the, uh, in the summer months. Okay. It's July. <laughs> I promised you I'd do this at the end of the podcast. Um, it's slowing down. It's it's summer. It's our time. I always that's what I always like to refer to this as. When we get past the Fourth of July, um, it really to me feels like it's Florida time. It's Florida residential time. It's time for those of us to live here to kind of kick back. Yes, it's hot. No, we don't want to be outside unless it's ooh, I don't know before eleven o'clock in the morning or in the evening after the sun goes down. But it's our time to get back to our beaches and back to our fishing holes and being able to go to the places that we really want to go because things are calming down. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. There will be some summer vacations, you know, but most of that honestly takes place up in Disneyland up here, Disney World rather. But when I, I, I say that, that's okay. I know that it's Disney World up around Disney. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And the other amusement parks up in Central Florida. And so it's, you know, it's kids time, parents time before school starts back up again. But for those of us that are down here in South Florida and over in Southwest Florida and the Florida Keys, this is a major in my opinion, a major kind of kickback time where we get to own things after the insanity of the um, July 4th weekend. And by the way, this was a big one. Uh, I think everyone was just tired of being cooped up in the house during the COVID stuff. Last year, it was just coming off of it. So people really weren't traveling all that much. They're being still being cautious. Uh, this year, it's like, look, it's family time. Let's get out there. Let's get the barbecue out and let's get going. And so that showed apparently on the highways and in the skies. So come July, uh, yeah, July 5th, 
July 6th, things start to really show down. So get out there and enjoy the outdoors. Go out there and enjoy yourself and kind of, kind of, you know, get back to going to the park and doing the things that you, riding the bicycle, going fishing, doing the things that you like to do outside. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, take a deep breather. Relax. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend and leave a review. My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. Catch Outdoors presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network. It's available on Waypoint and by many of your favorite podcast providers. The Facebook page is Catch Outdoors. The website, waypointtv.com and catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy. Enjoy.